today on The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Lead us not into temptation. Does that bother anybody that we have to pray that to our Father? Do you mean to tell me that you and I have to pray to God, God, don't lead us into temptation? Is that something we have to pray? Because if our Father who created you and created me is leading you and leading me into temptation, I give up. The truth is God wants to protect you and grow you. Welcome to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Today, Dr. Young begins his message called Temptation and shares proven truth about how to battle against temptation through prayer, while also trusting God to mature you in your faith. Stay with us. That insightful message is coming up on The Winning Walk. Now, here's Dr. Ed Young with today's message, Temptation. The truth is, a lot of us have stopped praying. We just sort of surrendered. Doesn't have any meaning. I can't tell that God is there. So I've just stopped praying. Or if we pray, we're still praying on the level of a child now I lay me down to sleep, or God is great, God is good, let us thank him for this food. Oh, we have an adult version of that. Thank you for this food, and may it nourish our bodies and our bodies to thy service. We've got that one down if we're an adult. But the truth is, I don't think our praying the same way, if we say it at all, going over the same words has much meaning to you or I would venture to say has little or no significance to God. So the bottom line is we don't know what to say when we get in the presence of God. We can put everybody on a guilt trip, pray more, power is available. You're missing aloud a lot if you don't really pray, and we can run through that number for a while, and all of us will feel like, well, boy, I I need to, you know, I need to start really praying. Last summer when... I was praying, trying to decide what would be the theme of our church for this year. I felt strongly that it should be the year of worship because I know and you know if you've walked with Christ for a while, if you and I are able to genuinely worship, we got it. Man, we... We're, we're moving on. Our faith becomes amazingly relevant. So a year of worship. And thinking about that, I, I thought of this model prayer and said, that would be a wonderful thing if we studied the prayer. And I prayed that 
it would deepen my prayer life and deepen your prayer life, and it would be a clarion call for you and for me to begin to really pray, to listen and to talk and to fellowship and spend time with the Almighty. And as we walk through the Lord's Prayer, it's been my prayer that somehow within many of us there would quicken the desire that the apostles felt. Now, by the way, the apostles there who followed Jesus, the 12, they were experts at prayer. I would guess that every one of them could quote by heart 15, 20, 30 different prayers. They were brought up in the synagogue with the rabbis. They would pray morning, noon, and night. They had all their rituals. And, and the Jewish people, if they were nothing, they were a people who prayed all the time. They had a prayer for everything and for every season. These apostles were, we would say, praying machines. But when they saw Jesus in high-pressure tough moments, withdraw to the Father when he would come back. There would be a new light and a new power and a new relevance that was from their human perspective <laughs> out of this world. So that's how we got this model. They said to Jesus, you teach us how to pray like that. And so we have the words. So I want us today to pray this prayer. If you're able to kneel, you may not be able to where you're seated. Let's bow our heads and let's pray together this prayer. Except I really don't want us to pray it together. I want to state a word or a phrase and then you repeat it after me, and let's wait a while until the next phrase I'll repeat and think on that part of the prayer that we're praying. What does it mean? What are we saying? To whom are we addressing these words? What does it resonate with in our lives? So I will say the words, and then you repeat them after me, and we'll pause between the words. By the way, the most alarming time in a church is when nobody's saying anything, no music is played, silence is frightening. So between each phrase of this petition, we'll wait a little bit and discover again and be reminded again as to what we're really praying. I'll say the words, you repeat them after me. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses. As we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation. But deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever. In Jesus' name, amen. A very, very, very pious man was going downtown for a meeting. He was late, and he circled the block 10 times and could not find a place to park, so he parked in a no-parking zone. We got out of his car. He wrote a note that said, Dear Officer, I circled this block 10 times and found no place to park, so I parked here to keep from being late for my meeting. Forgive us our trespasses. He got out of his meeting, went back to his car. There was a ticket, a citation on it. And the officer had written him a note. It said, dear sir, I have circled this block for 10 years. And if I do not give you a ticket, I'll lose my job. Lead us not into temptation. (laughs) We're coming to the end of our study of the Lord's Prayer. Two clauses and a benediction that really is a doxology. First clause, lead us not into temptation. Does that bother anybody that we have to pray that to our Father? You mean to tell me that you and I have to pray to God, God, don't lead us into temptation. Is that something we have to pray? Because if our Father who created you and created me is leading you and leading me into temptation, I give up. He knows every weakness in your life and my life. And when you wait in that room to see a doctor for two hours and 45 minutes, and you're an impatient person, and when you get in, your blood pressure is 235 over 120, man, why did God put you in that situation 
as a patient, <laughs> that's the reason they, we're patients, knowing that you're impatient, knowing how you'd respond with anger and with frustration. Why did God put you in that situation? And you were just perusing the internet and whoop, went to a little porn site for a while. And why did God let that pop up there knowing that I battle the weaknesses of the flesh? Why did that happen? What's God doing? And on and on we could go. You see, God knows how you and I are wired. He knows our Achilles heel. He knows the weakness in every single one of us. And if we've got to pray, God, don't exploit that weakness. Don't lead me into temptation. We're praying to the Father, what kind of prayer is this? And you want scriptural evidence. You would say, wait a minute. Jesus is teaching us to pray, lead us not to temptation, because he has in recent times, been led into temptation. Jesus was baptized, wonderful experience. The Trinity was present. This is my beloved son. And zip, what happened in Matthew chapter 4? We're just in 6 with the Lord's Prayer. Look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led, lead us not to temptation, by the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Here is the Holy Spirit leading Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah, the Son of God, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So Jesus had just gone through, we would say, in a precursory reading, this strong temptation, and what a strong temptation it was. By the way, Jesus was tempted here exactly like you and I are tempted. You know, how temptation, all the little ones and big ones, what the real purpose behind them? It is the purpose of the evil one to get you and to me to miss the central calling of our life. That's what these temptations about in the wilderness of Jesus. You know, turn the stones to bread. He'd been fasting for 40 days. He was hungry. Somebody said, well, the devil tempted him at his weakest moment. That's incorrect. He was a moment of strength. He'd been fasting for 40 days. He didn't fall for that temptation. You see, what was the purpose of the life of Jesus? To call all the world to God. That was his calling, to call all the world to God. And I'll tell you what, the devil was saying, hey, you can feed everybody. That's a tremendous impulse to, to follow. I could say, ladies and gentlemen, for the rest of your life, I'm going to satisfy all your needs. Come and follow me. Might be a long line. <laughs> right? Strong way for Jesus to fulfill his life purpose. Feed everybody. Then, he, then the Satan took him on the top of the temple and said, jump off. Man, God will protect you. And, and Jesus saw through that. By the way, he quoted scripture to counteract every temptation. Hide thy word in your heart that you might not sin against God. That's what Jesus did, the word of God. What was the temptation there? Put on a show. Man, you can get a lot of people to follow you for a long time. You jump off temples, you're not hurt. But the next week, you hit to jump off Mount Sinai. <laughs> you had to do a bigger, better show. But you get a lot of people to follow you one way. Fulfill his purpose. 
Then Satan took him on the top of a high mountain and said, look at all the people, all the kings of the world. I own all this. I'll give it to you if you'll just bow down and worship. That's the old question of means and ends. Man, it's a tremendous end. Your goal is to change the world, get all the people to know God and to follow you. Therefore, I'll give it to you. But to get in that, for me to give it to you, you have to worship me. Do that which is wrong for a larger good. We get caught up in that. Jesus said, no, 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 no deal. You can't tempt the Lord thy God. And then when he was through with this temptation, this is one little powerful verse. Look at verse 11. It said, then the devil left him and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. He was exhausted at the end of temptation. So therefore we pray, lead us not into temptation. And we say here in this scripture, the Holy Spirit literally says in the Greek, drove Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. What is this all about? Because somebody here might be wise enough to say, isn't there a verse or two there somewhere that says something about this very thing? And you might be able to turn to the book of James and read there in the first chapter these verses. Listen. Verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, there's our word, I am being tempted by God for God cannot be tempted by evil. And look at this. And he, God himself, does not tempt anyone. Ooh. But each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. When sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Be not deceived. Wait a minute. We've got a little conflict here, don't we? Sounds like it. What's the answer? I think it's found in the word for temptation. The Greek word for temptation can mean to tempt, which means to entice to evil, to do wrong. Or it can mean to test. Ah, now it begins to make sense. So God allows us to be tested to make us stronger, but not he does not tempt us. That is the work of Satan or the devil. By the way, in the Bible, you have two primary words for the devil. You have Satan and the word devil. Uh, Satan is someone who assails you. It is, it is the prosecutor who always takes all of your garbage and all of my garbage and takes it before God and before other people. That, 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 that's the work of the devil. And Satan is a slanderer. By the way, you can slander somebody, not just lying about them, but you can tell the truth about them in order to hurt them. That also is slander. So we have Satan and we have the devil, and they are there. So lead us not into temptation. He's saying lead us not into testing that we can't stand up under, and we are all tested. Well, well, how are we tested? The Bible tells us the world. That'll test you, won't it? The flesh, the flesh is always with us. And the devil, the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, always before us. So we are tested. Now, sometimes we can't tell the difference between 
Am I being tested or am I being tempted or I'm being tempted, I'm being tested? Because sometimes when we're being tested, it ends up being a temptation and Slewfoot uses it to bring us down. But we have to be tested. We have to take tests. We're in school. <laughs> we took tests. Do you wake up at night still sweating and you'd wake up dreaming that you're going into a test you hadn't studied for? I mean, I, you know, that happens once in a while. Yes, it's my checkered testing background. You know what I mean? We have to be tested. And we go into class and, and the teachers give unusual tests. I had a professor of archaeology, Dr. Mark Lovelace. He didn't just teach archaeology. He thought we were supposed to know everything about the Bible. He had all around the room, he had a map, a map of the Middle East. And he used a pool cue for his pointer. That's the reason I liked him. And so he could literally stand there and say, let me tell you about how it met Ephesus. Bang! And he'd slap that cue and, I mean, he'd be right on Ephesus. He could do it anywhere on the map. He was amazing, brilliant guy. And he gave, he gave all kind of tests. He said, I'm a leopard. You can't spot me. That was his phrase. Can't figure it out. He gave one test, a final exam I was in. He wrote on the blackboard, write. Just write. And what do you write? I don't know what you write. So everybody looked at each other, right. What kind of test? Oh, I just outlined the course, best I can remember it, and filled in a few gaps. And, uh, he, he was a master at testing. Life tests us. Look at it. I want to see how it works. Still say in our little book of James, still in the first chapter, look at verse 2. Consider it all joy, my brethren, Christians, when you encounter various trials. See? Test. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, strength, and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We are tested in life so that we will grow stronger, better equipped. And tests come in so many, but in various trials, the word various there means we may have tests, moral tests, health tests, family tests, business tests. We're going through a testing time, all of us in different ways and different degrees. Sometimes they're hot tests. Man, this is big. Sometimes they're sort of a moderate test. Sometimes they're sort of an easy test. But we're all being tested. Why? So we'll grow stronger. That's why we take a test. We go and we take the test and we pass the test or we fail the test. And I'm thankful that God retests us. <laughs> Aren't you? For retesting? Didn't have that when I was in school. They do that now. Some friends say, well, you messed it. Go take it again. Boy, if they'd had that, well, don't tell him what we'd have done. We're retested. That's the reason we work out. Man, I had pneumonia, you know, for a month. Now, they wouldn't let me do anything. You see, exercise is, is my cocaine. I'm addicted. I hate to confess that to you. I'm absolutely addicted. It's a good addiction, I think, but I hate it. Man, I don't want to get my tennis shoes on. I don't want to get on that machine or jog or lift those weights. It's painful. I don't like it. But see, I'm, I'm addicted, and, and, and I do it because it helps keep the temple in good shape, doesn't it? It helps us feel better. 
It's a good addition. And we, we go through the pain, but the pain that we go through, say, lifting weights, if you're bench pressing and you're bench pressing like this, you know, you know numerous times, like Wallace, 400, 400 pounds, you know, <laughs> repeated there on a bench press. I mean, it, he does it until it hurts, but it, what somebody got on top and pushed down on that weight. You see, that would be the opposite. That would be the negative effect, another kind of pain, and this is the positive effect. So testing and temptation, you know, they work together. And so Jesus is praying, deliver us not. Deliver us from all evil. Lead us not into temptation, into tests that we cannot mature and grow up with. Don't give us tests more than we can handle. That's what he's praying. Then he says, the second clause, deliver us from evil. I'm thankful that we worship a God who delivers us, aren't you? We're, we're delivered from evil. By the way, the word evil there can mean the devil. It can mean an evil thing. It can mean the evil one. We are to be delivered. And by the way, we might be delivered from all kinds of evil. You know where you'll find, by the way, one of the most honest group of individuals anywhere I've ever heard about? In the upper room. Remember when Jesus said, one of you, you're going to betray me. And what if I stood up here and said, somebody here is going to be Judas. You, you, one of, somebody in this place is going to be Judas. What's the first thing that comes to your mind? Well, I can tell you one thing. It's not me. All right? I'm not going to be Judas. Are you? But what did those apostles say? They said, Lord, is it I? Is it I? Am I the one? That's an honest group of people who'd followed Jesus for three years. They got it. You see, we are capable, any and all of us, of all kinds of evil. And we're praying, God, deliver us because we're surrounded by evil every day in this world, in this agenda, in this life. We know that. All of us know that. We need to be delivered from this. And by the way, you say, well, I, I, just, I just couldn't help it. We've got a problem with that. I want you to look with me uh, quickly here. In the book of Corinthians, chapter 10, we need this verse. Verse 13, no temptation, no testing, has overtaken you, but such as is common to man, and God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted, that's to do evil, beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you may be able to endure it. What is this saying? It's saying that I can't say, Lord, I was just overwhelmed. I couldn't help it. I just fell. Oh, no. He's saying as a Christ follower, no temptation, enticement to evil, will ever come your way or my way. He hasn't given us the capacity to turn away from and to resist. So it comes right back on you and me. It's a matter of the flesh and the will and the will and the flesh. And the flesh is ever among us. We're not above anything, any of us. So we pray, lead us not to temptation, but deliver us. Be our deliverer. Deliver us from evil. But what if evil already has you? 
You say, you know, I want to be delivered, but I'm already in the middle of evil, and I know it. How do I get out of the trap? I've already made the wrong choice. What do I do? What do I do? What is the way? What is the way we move out of this trap? What are the steps we have to take? That's what we want to know. First of all, we have to be willing. A lot of us say, boy, I'd sure like to stop that. I'd sure like to quit that. I'd sure like to start this. We had to be willing. Are we really willing? Remember the man who was by the pool of Bethesda? He'd been there all those years, and, and, and he said, every time the water puffs up so I can be healed, I don't have anybody to take me, and, and I've been here all these years. And Jesus, the first thing he asked him, do you really want to be healed? That's what he asked us. Do you really want to get out of the trap of evil that you're in, whatever the form it may be? That's the first thing he had to say, yes, I'm willing. Then you have to name the trap, the evil that you're in. Name it. It may not be what you think. Name what it is. Then you have to say it. James 5, confess our sins to God and confess our sins to one another. See, that brings in another God-fearing person to help you with this. And then you, what do you do? You trade it off. You trade it off. Here I am caught in the evil, and, and you know, and I, I, I want to get out, and I name what it is, and I confess it to God, I confess it to someone else, but now I have to trade it for something else. There has to be something higher and above and sweeter and more appealing in that evil that has caught us. I was thumbing through, punching the little TV changer. I, I, I surf television. Joe Beth endures it. All men do that. It's something built. I don't know what's wrong with us, guys. We just... So in surfing, oh, a couple of nights ago, uh, I bumped into American Idol. You know, I've only seen it a couple of times. And, and on the, I just stopped for a minute, and they had a guy there who was, who was singing heavy metal stuff, heavy metal. I mean, he, he had a world-famous guitarist there. He had it turned up. How loud can it get? I mean, whoo, and this guy was just shouting, ah! <laughs> and you look at him closely, he had a lot of heavy metal in himself. I mean, yeah, and the crowd was up and they were shouting and they were off the top. The, the judges were standing, ah, boy, I said, then what is it? My, I must be missing something. I don't know. Maybe it's uh, an eight. And and I thought, what in the world could follow that? What would get above that? And I thought, I said, you know what would just take the heavy metal and all this stuff and put them out in the bleachers and throw them out? Would be little Shirley Temple coming in and singing <laughs> somewhere over the rainbow. You say, wow, well, I mean, they wouldn't even hear her. But once they did, old heavy metal would just be blown away. Let alone a little girl singing, happy birthday, Jesus. 
You see what I'm saying? We're caught in this vice and this evil. There has to be a sweeter something, something that has a higher appeal, even after we've dealt with it with God and we've worked through it, that, that overshadows, that is sweeter, and has more passion and draws us to it. I mean, when I was a guy, I didn't have all these machines. You know, we, we have now on I pay we pay Ant Smasher. Is that it, Joby? Ant Smasher. Oh, you know about Ant Smasher? It's, it's a crazy game. Well, the kids just, my grandkids, and I'm there. Uh, uh. That's about all I can do. But when I was a kid, we played marbles. How many of you guys played marbles? Lift your hand. The girls, you did. Don't tell me about it. <laughs> we, we played marbles. I mean, kids, we didn't know about playing marbles. That's all we had. We, man, I went on school. I played marbles. Man, we played, you know, every kind of marbles. Well, we played for keeps and not. I'm not going to tell. Uh, but anyway, we played marbles until my dad went and put a basketball goal on the side of a tree. Marbles was pew, no more marbles. It's basketball. See, a higher something, heavy metal, ah, somewhere over the rainbow. See. A higher something. We get trapped in whatever's got us, and we have to have a higher melody, a higher music to get us out of the trap. So really, this prayer is a prayer for protection and how we need protection, all of us, and how many times you and I are protected. Only when we get to heaven will we know how many times the guardian angel that is over every Christian's life has called and said, send down a troop. We got to get her out of this. We've got to bail him out of this. How many times we have been protected by angels we didn't even know it? So it's a prayer. Lord, lead us not into testing we can't handle, but deliver us from evil with a higher call. It's a prayer for protection. Protect us. Protect us. And then there is that benediction, which is a doxology. For thine is the kingdom. By the way, the word F-O-R may be the most important word in the prayer. How can that be? It says, for thine is the kingdom. For thine is the glory and the power forever. So we got two doors here, two doors that we enter at the end of this prayer. It's mine is the kingdom or thine is the kingdom. And this is a moment of decision as we pray through this prayer. We have decided it's my kingdom or his kingdom, thine or mine. Let me show you something, and let me ask you a question. Can you say today, the little kingdom of my life, whatever size it might be, is thy kingdom? Really? Have you and I relinquished control and of our little kingdoms? As, 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 is my kingdom really totally his kingdom? Huh? Which door? And what about whatever power you have in your life or 
power I have in my life, is, is it my power still or is it his power? Thine or mine? Hmm? Is all of your life and my life, really whatever area it is, is all about his kingdom, how he would have us to operate and live and to move and to, and to, to use everything we have? Is it really his kingdom or do I still claim it as my kingdom? And what about any power of influence we have with anybody, anywhere, any place? Is it really, I still have that power or have I relinquished all that power and say, it's, it's thine? What about the glory, you know, that comes, man, you know, good job, well done. What about that glory? What about any applause, any words of appreciation? If we all relinquished that and said, no, it's, it's, it's his kingdom and it's, it's his power and it's his glory forever. Which door have we walked? For thine is the kingdom. Can we really say that? For thine is the power. We've given it all to him. Can we really pray that? Thine is the glory forever. Is that real to you and me? You say, well, how can this happen? I mean, I'm human. I've got a life. I've got desires. I've got things to do in, in my kingdom, and, and I want a little glory, and I want to use it. I mean, how does it happen that truly the whole kingdom is his, and the whole power around us is his, and the whole glory? How does that happen? Let me tell you how it happens. Remember when Jesus said, if any person would follow me, what do you have to do? Take up your cross every day and follow me. What does it mean? We've heard that verse. A lot of us have been churchanity folks for so long. What does that mean, to take up your cross? Listen, you see anybody taking up a cross, anybody on a cross, you can be sure of two things. They are dying Oh, they're already dead. Nobody's cut them down, right? If you're on a cross, you're dying. Oh, you've already died, and just nobody's taking you down yet. This is what Paul was saying. He said, I was crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. I'm not really living. It's Christ who lives in me. Paul was saying, it is his kingdom. It is his power and his glory. I have crucified myself, it all is his. That's how we can pray this doxology, this benediction, is to be crucified every day. Let me tell you something, and I'm a long way from it, but I'm moving in this direction. If you and I crucify our lives every day, part of our lives every day. If we die to ourselves every day, guess what? On the day that you and I die, we won't have anything to do. <laughs> Did you get that? If you and I crucify this ego, this megalomaniac that's in all of us in different ways, and we truly go in the door that says, Thine is the kingdom, and thine is the power, and thine is the glory. And we die to self every day. On the day that we die, we don't have anything else to do. 
Ladies and gentlemen, if we can genuinely pray this prayer, we've got a life worth living. We've got a life that is full of meaning and relevance and freedom and liberty and joy because old number one is constantly dying and we're letting the Lord Jesus Christ be number one in every realm of our lives. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And if we just crucify old self every day, man will be able to pray, thine is the kingdom. <laughs> thine is the power. Thine is the glory forever. And when we can pray like that, you and I will have a life that's really worth living. And Dr. Young joins me here in the studio today. Is it true, Dr. Young, that Christ can relate to every temptation we face? That's what the Bible teaches us, that Jesus Christ was tempted in every aspect of life as we have been tempted. Therefore, when we have Christ in our life and we put on the whole armor of life, we are shielded and we are defended against temptation. Doesn't mean we're not tempted. It doesn't mean sometimes we don't fall, but we fall when we forget that he that is within you and within me is greater than he that is within the world. In other words, we have the strength in Christ as he is in our life, our Lord and our Savior, to resist whatever menu that Satan would serve before us. Therefore, we pray, lead us not into temptation. And, and, and it doesn't mean lead us not into a time of, of tempting. God doesn't tempt us, but he does test us. I think we need that distinctive as well. To answer the question simply and succinctly, absolutely, he gives his followers the ability to say no to all temptations. Well, Dr. Young, what do you do when you're tempted to think of your life as your kingdom instead of God's? Unfortunately, it happens far, far too often. And when we pursue that, you know, my life belongs to me and I'm going to do my own thing, with me, I keep bumping up into situations that remind me it may be a word from a person. It may be something I didn't expect. I may read something, see something, and I remember who I am in the Lord Jesus Christ. When we remember who we are in Christ, it's amazing how that helps us to walk successfully through this life. When I was a boy, my mom and dad would tell uh, my brother and myself over and over again, when we would leave and go somewhere, Wherever it was, you know, sometimes just for an evening or with some friends, they'd say, Edwin, remember who you are. Remember who you are. And when I remember who I am, that helps immeasurably in times of testing and times of temptation. I can't tell you how many times I would have said the wrong thing, went in the wrong direction, fought of the wrong crowd, uh, got involved in, in something I should not have been involved in until, bang, there's a little flash there and say, remember who you are. Not as a pastor or anything like that, but as a Jesus follower, as a man in Christ. So I just have to remember who I am in Christ, and that helps me 
just tremendously to make my way along the way of life. Thank you, Dr. Young. You've been listening to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Winning Walk is a listener-supported ministry. Your prayers and financial support allow us to bring proven truth to listeners around the world. Connect with us at winningwalk.org. That's winningwalk.org.